what kind of Jesus do you believe in? There's uh, all sorts of options, it seems, out there of the kind of Jesus we can believe. And I want to start by uh, showing you a clip from uh, a movie, a Will Ferrell movie. Uh, there's one tiny bit uh, of slightly awkward for church moment in this clip, but it's not too bad and it's not outweighed by the, the excellence of the rest of the clip. So let's just watch this uh, clip. Uh, and then consider the question of what kind of Jesus we believe in. Supper's ready! Come on, y'all! Been slaving over this for hours! Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also, I want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say the Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day, and we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. That was a hell of a grace, man. There you go. Uh, Talladega Nights, uh, funny movie. And uh, that is just such a deeply 
insightful piece of commentary. It's very funny, it's very silly, but actually it, I think it reveals something quite true, doesn't it? That uh, people out there uh, have this idea that they can believe in the kind of Jesus that suits them. So they like to party and uh, go to rock concerts, that's the kind of Jesus they like to believe in. They like to uh, win lots of money, that's the kind of Jesus they like to believe in. The people who never get progress Jesus past a baby in a manger, there's heaps of people out there like that. There's all sorts of people who claim that they believe in all sorts of Jesuses. And that is a problem that, in fact, confronted Jesus too. Because we heard last week and we were encouraged last week to, to not be like the Pharisees who go on questioning and questioning and questioning and, and trying to uh, reject Jesus. We were encouraged to believe as the crowd did. But as of course, as you would have known if you were here last week and if you knew what was coming, the, the very next thing that happens is the, as we're told that the crowd believes uh, in uh, the first part of chapter 8 is now this second half of chapter 8 where Jesus is testing their belief and is revealing that for some, their belief is not the kind that it needs to be. Jesus does this often in the Gospel of John. As people begin to believe in him, he confronts them with the hard truth of his teaching and uh, it causes people to actually realise, actually, no, maybe they're, they're not actually that into this Jesus. It happened back in chapter 6, you might remember, where Jesus talks about being the bread of life and, and what that means and, and people didn't understand and people found it difficult and lots of people left. We read in John 6, verse 66, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And what we have again here is Jesus... Uh, helping to reveal in the hearts of those who are following him who are true believers. And Jesus begins this uh, section of chapter 8 by telling us about the true nature of belief. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. True believers trust Jesus, believe in him, and part of that is holding to his teaching, doing what he says, obedience. And in that obedience, they find their freedom. And this is obedience to all of Jesus' teaching, not just the, the bits that, uh, uh, that, he, that we like, all of it. And this is uh, indeed... Uh, something that people struggle with. I can think of a, a number of people who like clearly come to my mind, people who I've been in Bible studies with over the years, uh, who take who have taken real issue with something in the Bible. I have a very vivid memory as a young adult sitting in a Bible study class or Bible study group, and uh, someone in that group as we were discussing the finer points of whatever it was that we were reading, saying, if that's what Jesus is like, if that's what God is like, then that's not the God I believe in. And I think I remember the rest of us kind of sitting there going, is that an option, like, to just decide what kind of God you believe in? Like, it's what it's, that's what's written 
in the Bible. And unfortunately, uh, that person who I've sort of, thanks to Facebook, remained connected with, maybe not thanks to Facebook, who knows, but nonetheless, that person, unfortunately, at, at this uh, stage, is no longer calling themselves a Christian, no longer trying to follow Jesus. They took issue with Jesus' teaching and ultimately that's exposed them as false disciples. But it's not just those who've expressed it and then left. All of us are faced as believers with the difficult task of hearing Jesus, believing in him, and then allowing his word, his life and teaching to shape us, especially when we find the things he says and that we read about, difficult and hard to accept and going against our own ideas or desires. And it's in that moment when we find Jesus' teaching hard and difficult that we have an opportunity, don't we? An opportunity to either push back, that's not the kind of Jesus I'm interested in, or to submit and then step into true freedom because the truth sets us free and knowing the truth is about knowing Jesus and holding to his teaching, verses 31 and 32. So how is it that Jesus' teaching sets us free? Perhaps you think, a bit like the Jews in Jesus' day did, that you've got nothing you need to be set free from. Because the good news of Jesus' life and teaching coming to set us free makes no sense if we don't think we need freedom. And Jesus tells the people in verse 34 just exactly what kind of freedom all of us need. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. All of us, Jesus says, find ourselves trapped in this problem of sin and this 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 cage that we live in is the cage which Jesus's life and teaching uh, frees us from and invites us out of uh, Jesus continues uh, by talking about it uh, further in verse 35 uh, now a slave a slave to sin has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. You see, sin is this horrible master that traps us, that keeps us distant from God. But Jesus, the Son of God, who is the Word made flesh, as John says in chapter 1, who's uh, come to bring the freedom and who is the light of the world, this Jesus brings freedom, true freedom, the freedom he has as the son, he brings and he gives to those who believe in him. When we believe in him, when we obey Jesus, we get true freedom. Without Jesus, we're like homeless children, lost and alone. But with Jesus, God welcomes us into his family because he loves us and he lavishes his grace upon us and he simply invites us as he as he pours out his love and grace upon us to kind of live according to the house rules if you will 
rather than living according to the old life. Now, the idea that people are not free, that sin is their master, as Jesus says, uh, that's ultimately, and we'll look at this a bit in a minute, that Satan is your fa- their father, that, that's not news that people enjoy hearing. Uh, nobody likes hearing that they are a slave, that, that Jesus is their... Uh, sorry, that, that sin is their master. If I think back to that friend I mentioned in that Bible study earlier, I think... Uh, they would have bristled if I had said to them, well, your uh, inability to accept what God is saying here proves that you're stuck in your sin and Satan's your father. If I'd said that to them, they might have bristled a little bit. And it's quite interesting, really, isn't it, that this is what Jesus says to those who are believing in him. I think in John chapter 8, as I've been reflecting on this, it kind of gives us a helpful correction that Jesus is not the nice guy everyone thinks he is. Jesus is very, very concerned with the truth, with holiness of life, with uh, responding to God with faithfulness and obedience. And he says to people who are kind of into him, you're a slave and Satan's your dad. And they bristle at that. Jesus had hard words for people who wouldn't fully trust and obey him. And we must remember that. Jesus is deeply concerned about what we believe and about how we live. Because when we don't trust him, it proves that we are indeed slaves and that Satan is indeed our father. He provides a diagnostic text, in fact, for us to figure out who our father is. Jesus said to them in verse uh, 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. If God's your father, then you love Jesus, because Jesus is the son. But for many in the crowd, people who professed belief in Jesus... It wasn't God, it was Satan. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. These people here, uh, uh, Jesus is telling them, you, you are children of Satan. And ultimately, where that's going to lead, I think it's kind of foreshadowed here, is in uh, lies and murder, which is ultimately what the crowd does, isn't it, when Jesus is coming before Pilate. Crucify him, crucify him. It's Satan who works against Jesus and ultimately wants him dead. And if people join in that task, then they prove where their hearts truly are. Now, this is a, a, a tough thing to, for Jesus to say to these people. It's interesting because I think if people today, if you told someone today, well, you're a, you're a child of Satan, 
uh, and um, a, the father of lies, I think people would think, thank you, that's kind of cool. I'm so, I, I feel like I'm a bit edgy. Uh, but, but to the, the people in Jesus' day, this was highly offensive because they're much more like my friends I talked about earlier in, in the Bible study group who, who kind of think they're on the, on the path with God. They've identified as believers. Not only that, they identify as Jews. To them, this claim that, that, that Abraham's not their father, that God's not their father, but that Satan is, it's outrageous. They push back on Jesus. We read, don't we, verse 39, Abraham is our father, or verse 41, the only father we have is God himself. But Jesus says, no, no, ultimately it's your actions that prove who your father is. And as Jesus continues to confront them with their hardness of heart, with the fact that they're more interested in Jesus for what he can give them rather than for who he is, the people move from kind of belief and interest to hurling kind of insults at Jesus. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? It's like, no, they're saying, oh, you're calling us children of Satan. No, you're the one who's demon-possessed. You're a Samaritan as well, which is basically a racist slur. And then Jesus says to them, uh, at the end of this whole exchange, very truly I tell you, verse 58, before Abraham was born, I am. And this really, really gets to these people. Because in that moment, as they've had this back and forth about who their father is and what it means to truly trust Jesus and to find truth and to be set free, as Jesus makes this final claim that he was there before Abraham, that he's been there since the beginning, that he's the word made flesh, as John says at the start of this whole gospel. He makes this claim to divinity and the people respond, not by what you ought to do if God's standing in front of you, which is falling to your knees in worship. Instead, they take one knee, pick up a stone and try to kill him. But it's not yet his time. Verse 59, As the, at, at this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The irony, having protested that they're not children of Satan all this time, and then when it comes down to Jesus claiming to be God himself, they try to kill him, proving Indeed, they are slaves to sin and children of Satan. So, as we reflect on this story, I think it invites us to consider a couple of things. Firstly, do you really believe in Jesus? The people now reading today started with some kind of belief in Jesus. But as they got to know him more, 
as he confronted some of the idols of their hearts, as they realised that following Jesus meant living differently and facing some hard truths about the way they had been living and things they needed to repent of and what it meant to find true freedom. And as their hearts have reacted, like no one likes hearing that, 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 that they need to change. You think about a time when someone's told you, hey, Chris, you know, like that thing you did last week, it wasn't really right. And your first reaction, even if you know they're right, is to, well, at least mine, maybe you're a better human being than me, but my first reaction is always to feel defensive. It's just my, my heart naturally goes there. I always have to make myself stop and listen and hear and, and, and to take the feedback. Now, of course, when a, when a regular old person is giving me feedback, they're not God. But when Jesus is confronting me with my sin as I read the scriptures and calling me into a new way of living, it, it's not always a nice experience. But of course, I know that on the other side of it is true freedom. As these people listen to Jesus and as he invites them into true freedom, they just rebel. We like things the way they are. And they ultimately reject Jesus. Now, I think the thing that was good about uh, uh, having Jesus there in the flesh confronting them is that it made it... Uh, not really possible for people to do what, what happens today when we're confronted with Jesus' truth. Because I think for a lot of people what happens today is when we're faced with the true teaching of Jesus, instead of just either accepting it and conforming our lives to it or just rejecting it flat out, a lot of us, with the tyranny of distance just simply decide to recast Jesus in a different image. There's the true Jesus revealed to us in the Word, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit pointing us, uh, in, leading us into all truth, uh, and we can either do that or we can reject it, or we come up with a, a new option, which is to make a different Jesus, create some other thing and call it Jesus. When Jesus calls us to put to death certain things, when Jesus calls us to deeper obedience, we think, no, Jesus, Jesus, the, not the Jesus I know, he'd never ask me to do something like that. Jesus is such a nice guy, a loving guy. He, would, he'd like, he likes me too much to think that I'm a child of Satan who needs saving. That's not the kind of Jesus I'm kind of into. He totally want me to like accommodate my, he, he, he totally want to accommodate my sin and, and like allow me to keep living the way I'm living just so that I could be associated with him. Surely that's the kind of Jesus we follow. I mean, I've got 455 Facebook friends. That's pretty influential. Jesus doesn't care. He's the Lord of the universe, the ruler of the world, the son of God. 
He has come into this world to reveal the truth. And the truth will set you free. He will set you free. The true Jesus, as he's revealed himself in the scriptures, the word made flesh, the I am. And he is not inviting you to recast him in your own image so that you can be a useful, he can be a useful accessory to your life and meaning. He's calling you to put to death the things which he calls evil, things which you might like. But he knows where true freedom is found. True freedom is found being a child of the Father in God's family. Nowhere else, everywhere else, you are a slave. Now, the problem that I think sometimes we have with this invitation of Jesus into true freedom, into uh, obedience to his commands, into living the way he calls us to, is we, we think that, 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 that that's not freedom. We think that without Jesus, we've got freedom, and, and with Jesus and rules comes restriction. H how can this be? I want to use an imperfect analogy to just kind of get you to think about this. And I've got a picture of a fishbowl. Consider the fish in the fishbowl. And the fishbowl could be the lake or the ocean. It, it, does, it doesn't really matter. A fish in water is the point. But if you think about a fish in a fishbowl, imagine there was a fish in a fishbowl right there. The fish is looking out. And it sees all sorts of opportunities before him. I could go and sit on that nice comfy chair over there. I could have a play on the piano over there. But there's all sorts of things I could do if I just jumped out of this fishbowl. But of course, when the fish jumps out, the fish dies. Starved of oxygen, can't breathe, can't live. It's, it, it can't move, it's trapped. It won't even get to wherever, whatever shiny thing it was trying to go for. It's just going to flounder around suffocating before it dies. And it might think, well, at least I'm free from this bowl. Well, I suppose. But, but you're dead, Mr Fish. In the bowl is freedom. Freedom to truly live. Freedom to be who the fish has called to be. And now we might hope that in, to then get out of the analogy that there's a lot more in the fishbowl of God's family than nothing. This is where the analogy falls down, right? But nonetheless, true freedom is not found by killing yourself or living in the kind of way that leads to death. True freedom is found in Christ, in his life, according to his way. As we sang with the kids, I am the way, the truth and the life. So let me ask you, 
Are you free? If you believe in Jesus, then the answer is yes. The truth has set you free. But believing in Jesus is not a one-time decision. We need to keep on believing. Keep on trusting. Keep on allowing ourselves to be transformed by him. And keep putting to death those times where we try and recast Jesus in our own image or just ignore him altogether. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting him when you disagree with him. Keep trusting him when you don't understand him. Trust Jesus and let him rule over your life. Follow his teaching, live in his love, enjoy the benefits of life in his family. And as Jesus says in verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen.